Andy's funny. Time for the show. We live in a divided world, divided religiously, politically, and economically. Oftentimes in our world, we want to run away from tough conversations that divide us about grief, pain, and loss. We want to avoid topics like shame, guilt, and pride. We'd rather escape to our phones instead of engaging in real conversations. I know this because I do this. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. So let's talk to each other. Yet more importantly, let's listen to each other. Let's continue the conversation. My name is Andy, and I have Winter Faith. Let's get into it. I'm here with my good friend Stephanie Moore. Stephanie is a, a counselor in the state of South Carolina. Or that is completely wrong. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Here, I'm here with my friend Stephanie. She is a counselor. Tell us where you are. Yes, I'm in South Dakota. Uh, you know, Andy and I we we knew each other back in Wisconsin in high school years. So yeah, this middle school, up. right? We even knew each other in middle school. Yeah, you went to Tipler, didn't you? Wow. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of friends that went to the high school, so I forgot about that. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I'm in South Dakota now, and you're you're down south, so we both kind of ventured out. (laughs) Right. Yeah, but I'm so I'm a licensed professional counselor, and in in mental health, and so I'm in private practice now after doing a variety of things at colleges and community mental health, which are all great things, but I found that my passion was uh, helping Christians get better mentally because they are so hard on themselves and probably had more severe anxiety and depression than a lot of other people. And especially since I married a pastor, I didn't marry him uh, thinking that was going to happen. So... I'm still debating whether I should just back out early enough on. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But watching what he goes through with people and then himself and clergy who are human beings too, and people don't see them as that a lot of times that they're somehow they just must be bulletproof because they're in the pulpit. I don't know. Um, But they need a lot of support too and have a lot of struggles that um, they feel very alone in. And so I'm trying to help churches break down barriers to allow conversation to happen and that it's okay to seek out help. Even if you aren't like labeled as crazy or completely mentally ill, you're just having some life issues, you know? Um, so that's kind of what I do. And right now I'm, I'm in Plankington, South Dakota. I, I travel to rural areas a lot because they don't have services in in those areas and so it's completely new and they're all freaked out like who's this counselor people actually have problems but i'm trying to break down that that stigma so that's That's great that's great work you know we we uh yeah grew up known each other grew up in the same city went to uh same middle school and high school and um have kept in touch a little bit not a whole lot but a little bit through you know 
through after, you know, after college and now both being in career career fields that deal with uh, ministry, church and mental health, mental health. And we kind of have this similar path and we see similar things just just from, you know, hearing you speak a little bit that the church, like you said, really has a stigma towards mental health. And specifically, we don't want we don't even like saying that word. And we also we really struggle, I think, to be authentic with our problems in the church. You'd mentioned, you know, being a, a pastor's wife and seeing what um, ministers and pastors go through. What do you think it is that is what? Uh, why do people look at pastors different when it when it comes to kind of just normal life issues? I think when well, there's two different things. Uh, we have different generations that have different types of expectations for a pastor. And so he's kind of expected to mold himself and his style based on their needs, which I mean, that's, that's very hard for somebody to do. And and they're not allowed to be authentic a lot of the times just to be an effective leader and working in the church is personal work. I mean, your, your personal life and your professional life kind of blend um, when you're you're part of a church family, but you're the head of a church family, it's kind of like almost being, you know, a father or the head matriarch of the family. You you have needs too, but you put everybody else before you, and we put those people last and forget that they can't be strong all the time. And just because they preach it on Sunday morning doesn't mean they're good with their faith. Right. We don't like thinking about that. that. Yeah. I mean, pastors do need, I think they're just as effective going in the pulpit and saying, I'm struggling with my faith right now. I think that's a great thing to do because we doubt as Christians and that's okay. And you don't have to be mad at yourself for thinking that. I mean... I think that God would want us to question and grow to to continue to um, develop more faith by searching. That's so good. One of my kind of core beliefs of Christianity and one of the reasons I started the Winter Faith podcast is because I do believe that authentic faith um, requires doubt. And that you have to go through those seasons. And I like to think of winter. Winter is a tough season. It's cold. It's uh, difficult to go through. You know, both growing up in Oshkosh, we know what winter is like. Well, you should be in South Dakota. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's true. I haven't been in South. So, um, you know, we know, you know, we can relate to like those seasons of being cold, of the seasons of it's darker than normal. You know, everybody relates to that. But I guess you know, that we don't like to think of faith as being winter, but yeah, about doubt, about searching. And what I love that you said, which I really believe in, is that's about growth. When you're searching, when you're doubting, that means you're growing. So you talk about, um, I watched your sermon last night mm-hmm. uh, up on YouTube and you, you did an excellent job. I know that was your first time, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I mean, you did great. I couldn't tell it was your first time. You did great. And you, you talked about um, just this idea of kind of neglecting 
to accept the pain in our life. I believe that's the right quote. And the church can put on, uh, we can come to church and put on a mask. And I was just wondering if you could maybe speak to that. Yes. People, we have a lot of Christians that are really good at putting on the mask one day a week when they're living like hell the rest of the week is like, Mm. is how I like to put it. Um, They're going through the motions to make it appear that they're good Christians and, and that they're authentic and real, but they're really not. And you can tell, and we wonder why people don't come to church and why we are having an issue um, shrinking uh, as Christians, because that's what's happening. It's because people can tell if you're being fake or not. And God wants us to be real, and we don't have to go to church um, with a smiley face and prove to everybody that we're volunteering in, in everything. And, you know, we've gotten all these points and followed all the rules. Um, or I'm just going to say I followed all the rules, but secretly the whole week, I'm ashamed that I couldn't live up to that perfection that my mind is creating is the reality of being a Christian. They forget that we have a loving God and a forgiving God and that we can be real and let him just pick us up when we're, we're down. Um, so we, we work tirelessly to live up to those labels of whatever your profession is. So for me, I, you know, my labels that people assume are, you know, I must have a perfect life being a pastor's wife and a business owner with my successful practice that is really busy. Um, I'm a mom of a two-year-old, you know, I must be super fulfilled and I must have the perfect life. Uh, but and you don't what's going on no I don't in (laughs) fact I'm like geez I need to practice what I preach so I'm taking the whole month of June off because I'm going insane I'm not gonna lie it's been a tough few months so yeah yeah uh, it's scary because I can't guarantee any income that month really so taking a leap of faith but I decided I need to put my own health first so um but it's just admitting that we're not perfect and we can't maintain the pace that we create in our mind and that um, Jesus Christ came here to show us that we're not perfect and he's here to take that burden away. So Right. He even says, like, I've come to give you rest. Right. Right. I don't know what Americans, how we do our exegesis for that passage, but we certainly don't live it. I, I know I don't. Um, you mentioned the word... Um, shame. And I'm wondering, I hear this in my circles and I'm assuming it's in your circles, but the, this, I I think of shame when I hear this phrase, I'm not being a good enough Christian. Yes. Yeah. And how people, what, like, where did we even create this? Well, that's why there's a practice called psychology. <laughs> I <think laughs> okay. Your, yeah. I yeah. think one of your questions that you sent was, you know, why are we at war with each other? Psychology and yes. Christianity. And right. um, again, the, oh, and I might get chastised for this and you may get hate mail for me ever saying this, but um, God did not write the Bible. 
Okay. okay? It was inspired by God. Human beings right. wrote the Bible. Sure. They didn't even know a Bible was going to be made when they wrote it. Yeah. They didn't. So right. it's still a very important text and the foundation of our faith. And we have to um, use it as a guideline for how we live our life. But we need to remember, you know, what, what was the question? <laughs> so, um, no, this is oh, good. The, this the is war. Good. The war. It is. It, I think it's just, it's a, yeah, we, we think that there's this war going on between faith or Christianity, religion yes. versus psychology, the social sciences, what is considered secular. Um, yep. We think there's this war going on. Right. And, uh, not everybody, but I, you know, we're just talking in huge, sweeping general terms. So that's kind of where we were, where we were at. Yes, because people take things out of the biblical context as black and white truth. That if you just pray away everything, if you pray hard enough, you you will have grace and peace in your life. Okay, but we forget that there is a big. Um, what's the definition of peace, though? for for what jesus christ and god intended um our life isn't going to be without chaos we can't have joyful moments without sorrowful moments um so you we can't live in this fantasy world that if we pray enough and are just a good enough christian and follow all the rules that our life will be perfect because psychologically god made us with emotions right so we have right. emotions and we react to things and then we have our brain that depending on what we grew up with our experiences shape how we react to the rest of the world and people um, and sometimes just like you're born with without an arm or blind um, some people have more anxiety than others because yes. they just have a chemical imbalance um, yes. and there's no shame in that God made you perfectly imperfect um, and I don't know where the idea is that medications are an absolute horrendous thing to even consider if you're a Christian. Um, but I don't see that in the Bible saying you can't ever nourish your body with something that makes it feel better. All medicine is made from plants that were created by God and God created human beings to have the brains to figure out we can help help them just like someone with cancer so and the fact that our number two cause of death in the united states is suicide so are we really going to wow. ignore that fact wow. that okay well let's let's be okay with heart surgery but someone's gonna threaten to end their life we're just gonna say sorry no medication when if 80 percent of people took their depression medication regularly they wouldn't have died by suicide wow Man, so kind of went on a tangent, but there's no, this horror, and it we're so hypocritical. And the one truth I know as a Christian is God loves us unconditionally, and there's grace and forgiveness. And instead, we torture ourselves with all of the rules that we're trying to interpret that probably are not even in the New Testament. First of all, they're old law. Not that we disregard it, we still use it as some good guidelines, but that's not, that doesn't trump 
the unconditional love and grace and forgiveness that Jesus Christ died for. So we've got to remember that, that nothing else matters except that. And if the black and white thinking and trying to interpret every little word in the Bible um, is going to make you feel good, whether you did right or wrong, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Right. Literally. Like you're, and you're that's gonna, why people are in yeah. my office. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're working in an office setting. You're working with, um, you know, probably group counseling and one-on-one counseling, you know, and you've, you've also started, um, tell me, tell us the name of your uh, business at this point. So right now it's more counseling services. We, we are shifting to more counseling group because I'm going to be working with people to help me provide more groups and services for people. So, um, but that's, that's my business and, um, more counseling services, more counseling. It will be more counseling group like next week. (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. Breaking news. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the nonprofit I started that, um, is now run by a board and all of that, um, is more thriving communities and that provides funding for people that don't have insurance or um, their deductible is so high that they can't afford out of pocket, but they need help right, right now. Um, they help supplement that for people that can't afford it. Cause I, I believe everybody deserves help no matter what your resources are. Right. Um, Absolutely. So yeah. And that, so I think what we're kind of talking about, I mean, we're you know talking about the issue of how do we bridge how do we bridge this gap between um, the church community and the mental health community? And it sounds like you're, you know, you're trying to build bridges with those, with those groups that you're doing, with the counseling you're doing. So you're coming from the, the aspect of kind of individual and group counseling from a licensed professional yourself and, and starting nonprofit work to help those in need financially. And I, you know, I'm at this angle where I am working at a um, homeless shelter with men. So we use nonprofit counseling services, you know, like, like you do. And there is such a, um, just keep going back to this, but there's such a stigma, you know, I'm not working with men that are in the church. I'm not working with men who are, you know, some of them claim, you know, faith, some of them don't, but still the stigma of, I don't need to go to counseling unless, are you saying I'm crazy? Like, you know, you're making me go to counseling, you know, but we have no problem going to the doctor if we if we break our leg, but we don't want to go to counseling or take medicine. You know, I do think it's changing a little bit, but I'm just I guess I'm pointing out even in non-church community, just I still think our culture is pretty. um, uh, What's the word like withdrawn or just still neglectful of just counseling? Uh, mental health services. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because part of my work history is um, I used to work for the 211 Helpline Center here in Sioux Falls, which um, I was in charge of the suicide helpline. So any oh, okay. it's the, it's part of the national suicide hotline that you see on TV a lot. Sure. Um, when Robin Williams passed, it, that was like all over the place. And so any 605 area codes, they come through that center and I was in charge of all the crisis workers there. Um, and then on top of that, I we would work with some data and grants about, okay, where are the gaps? Why are people not getting help? 
And, and so I actually had the opportunity to go um, do some suicide prevention and, and suicide screening trainings for ER doctors um, because most people that are suicidal or severely depressed and anxious um, will resort to waiting until they have physical symptoms that they end up in the emergency room or of course an attempt where they overdose or whatever, they just don't get the help. And so now they're required, like it's law in South Dakota to do screenings in the ER and um, all of that and working with the, the suicide hotline to make sure those people are taken care of. Um, but it's a big problem. And I've literally been on the phone with people that have had a gun to their head and I had to wait and like keep them talking and then put them on hold. And hopefully they wouldn't notice I put them on hold and call the police and keep them, you know, it, it, so it's, it's a real problem that happens every day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that, that's so good that you're doing that work. I, I, I don't know where he kind of ranks on your list of influential people, but Robin Williams, just hearing that name. I mean, I love stand-up comedy, so I watched stand-up of Robin Williams like from the 70s and the 80s. I watched him in the early 2000s at our good friend uh, Dan Musecamp's house. I watched Dan oh, Robin yes, shout yes. out to Dan. Um, he supports the show. So uh, watching him in 2005... Watching him in 2009 or 10, his episode that he did in D.C. of stand-up. Like, just this incredible, incredibly talented person. Um, and I just think he, he had moments where he said stand-up was his therapy. And he had, uh, I watched a documentary about him just with all his, you know, just all his partying and, and um, everything he did when he was younger. And then you see kind of how his life, it's like, how can somebody that appears to be so happy be so sad? Yeah, yeah. That's Robin Williams, a pastor, a CEO. They're all functional. Uh, but, right, functional. Right? Yeah. Functional, sure. and they're good at what they do. And you're like, what the heck? How did this happen? Uh, they, uh, you know, the reason they, they were driven to suicide is because they were so alone with it. They were super good at fooling everybody. And most people that want to end their life um, don't want to tell people. They, they don't want to hurt people. So their big thing is I just want the pain to end. Um, so they're hoping they can continue their normal life. It, it, it doesn't click that they're going to die, you know, so they they truly are thinking you know this will make me feel better and yeah intellectually they might know they'll die but i don't think they think through like there's nothing there, there's literally nothing after that um and so they want to continue showing everybody that they're fine because they don't want anybody to be concerned with them and they continue to isolate themselves and be alone in their pain instead of reaching out for help uh, and a lot of people who've reached out for help have been shut down or not taken seriously so they don't do it again and so we have to teach people how to care for those that are reaching out and also there were probably signs that robin william had but maybe his friends and family and not that it's ever their fault absolutely not but friends family colleagues where that was odd 
should I have said something or talked to him? Um, if you're, we gotta learn how to listen to our gut too and not just hope that they're okay and walk on eggshells around it. Um, and, and just to learn about how to be there and make it okay to reach out. All right. So if you had, um, I, I hope this relates, if you had kind of a group of ministers you know, and, and there are people that teach the church. There's people that listen to this podcast that are, that are ministers and, and counselors and Starbucks baristas. Shout out to my friends from Starbucks that listen. Um, you know, what What do people need to know? You know, is there a short summary of, you know, what are, I think the, que- the question I had are what are the needs for the church about mental health? But I'm just going to expand that. What do people need to know about mental health? Yeah, um, that... That well, it's funny because the the Dakota's Methodist Conference here has reached out to me to um, to work with the Lilly Grant, which is almost a million dollars that they just received just for pastoral care. Uh, when it comes not 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 to teach about how to be a, a, a good pastor that knows how to do pastoral care, but to care for pastors, okay. uh, whether sure. it be mental health coaching. Um, finances, you know, exercise, diet, like health issues. Um, But, you know, what what pastors need to know is that they are not Jesus Christ (laughs) and they they deserve to have somebody to talk to in confidence and it doesn't have to be your family or congregation members or even your superintendent or whoever your boss is that you can just have no filter and you can be angry. You can even swear in therapy. Like, like just don't have a mask and 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 let it all out and process so you're not doing it alone. You know, there was a suicide in California of a pastor with three children and he did a sermon. I watched it because I was so curious. Um, the sermon before he died, like two days later, was about how he was gone for three months on a leave of absence for psychiatric care on getting his depression under control. And he had a sermon on how he has hope now and all of this stuff. And yet he still obviously didn't have enough care or was lying to himself. And two days later, he's dead. Mm. Um, So, I mean, it's it's really tough. So what I would say is don't let your pride get in the way of doing something that could ultimately save your life because sometimes it just creeps up on you and all of a sudden you're thinking those thoughts and you're not sure where to go like go talk to somebody before it gets to that point and don't think you're immune to it oh that'll never happen to me um right it yeah. can happen to any of us yeah that's a humbling thought that's mm-hmm. very you know i yeah just i guess what i'm hearing you say don't isolate you know, number one, don't isolate. Maybe number two is take off the mask. And, you know, something, oh, there's a third one that I thought was really good too. But that just thinking about, you know, not that's a pretty good start. You know, not isolating and taking off the mask. Oh, and I think just like, hey, like be angry, be sad. Like it's just, like you said earlier, hey, like God made us with emotions. Well, and don't teach your congregation to be numb and only happy and that anger is bad. Yeah. You know, like validate to people that you're a human being that has good and bad emotions and 
they're all giving you signals to reflect on some things and you can't truly um, improve your life without having a nudge of some some icky feelings like that's a normal thing and our society has somehow gotten it into our heads that there's something wrong with us if we acknowledge those emotions right being emotional is wrong like mm -hmm. could we say that we've kind of regardless of what uh yeah i feel like that message is still out there well and i this is terrible but i get to the point where i do this work all day every day and i get so sick of running into people that are so happy all the time <laughs> <laughs> okay like, yeah no okay. i get that i, 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 I don't want to be around negativity but like it's just fake it's like well yeah you're not why would i happy you're upset that they're fake happy. They're not genuine it's like right 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 you're putting you can tell they're putting on an act hey how's it going you know life is great you know and i'm like you know i think you think we're friends and i'd like to think we are but i don't think i would ever grow in a relationship with you because i don't know if you'd be able to re i don't know relate to some of the ups and downs i have so i think sometimes if we think we're just got to put on that act that that you're you're giving off the impression to people who who just need to be real and talk sometimes the signal don't go there that's not okay um you don't have to encourage like you know negativity and and just complaining all the time but just you know be just be real and genuine i don't think i think it's we have to teach i have to teach that skill now to people yeah like, wait no you just said this but i don't buy it like i have to yeah. Yeah. they're like oh wow like i have somebody i've been working with for like three months and she's a wonderful lady in fact she's a pastor right and she's going through some marital issues and considering divorce which is scary if you're a pastor right. but she's ignored her emotions so much because of that fear and now that she can actually be genuine she's speaking her truth she's able to talk about what bothers her and start solving some of those problems with her husband. Whereas before it was like, I don't like this and I don't know why, and I'm just going to move forward and he needs to fix it instead of this is what I need. That's really good. I appreciate you saying that. We're going to take a quick break because I actually have a sponsoring commercial now. I've never had to say that before. So Whoa. I'm going to pause it here and we'll, we will be right back uh, okay. with Stephanie. And I am, hey, welcome back. I am here hey. with my good friend, Stephanie, and we're gonna switch gears a little bit. One of the things that I'm passionate about is how people deal with grief and loss, you know, especially coming from being a hospital chaplain and now working with people who experience homelessness. I see a lot of death and loss and grief. And I was just kind of wondering, is that, you know, what is something we could do better to teach people about grief? And, and how would you help people learn about grief better? Well, number one, I want people to know I recognize how uncomfortable it is when someone you care about is struggling with a loss of a loved one and you're not quite sure how to support. And so that is hard. So I'm, don't, don't take this offensively, but that's, that's an issue though, because our normal reaction 
is to avoid that person sometimes. Maybe to do a quick, hey, I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, that's always nice to say, I suppose, but then it's like a free pass to maybe not check in again because it's uncomfortable. And I don't think you think that right away, but I, tr if you dig deep down, I don't think it's it's fun to think about. I don't really, you know, I, I should probably check in with this person that's miserable right now. Um, and so I guess I just want people to know that you got to start recognizing where you're uncomfortable and if you truly want to be genuine and be supportive to be open to learning how to do that and, and even though maybe you've made some mistakes to give yourself some grace and do your best to provide support for them so how does yeah you know it, it can be awkward because it's it's like you know that they're going through something hard most of us have lost um, someone important to us in our life. So you know that that person's probably been a really hard time. So to get over that awkwardness, you know, how, how do you, you just dive into it? You know, what do you, what do you suggest for, for people to kind of start those healthy conversations about loss? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people bump into their friends at church and that's when they kind of, uh, use that time to, to say something, um, and I think, you know, it is fine to say, you know, call me if you need me and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say except, you know, that I'm here if you need me. Um, but I think they get sick of it. Actually, I know, <laughs> I know they get sick of people saying that because it's like when you're grieving, the last thing you want to do is is ask for help that's and they don't even know how to comfort themselves like i don't know what i want i just want the person back like right you know and so they're not in that frame of mind to figure out what they need to feel better and so we need to just act and do mm. so if you think about what would you if you were in that state of mind what would be helpful well i know for me it would be um you know eating it, cooking a meal would be a lot of work so um because i just i, I don't even have the motivation to get off the couch and stop crying mm -hmm. so i think that getting a meal going and dropping it off without even asking if it's okay is fine um if they have kids you know calling and saying you know i'm free this weekend do your kids want to come over and hang out for a little bit? Uh, if you need some time alone to just process or take care of yourself, um, invite them to coffee. As much as it's going to be uncomfortable for you, let them just be sad and share space. You're not going to say anything that feels better, but just be there. And that's, listen. that's so good. You're not going to say anything that makes people, you know, the pain doesn't go away because you say, some magical word but just being there when i was uh, when i do hospital chaplain and i get a call a lot of times i'm going to see someone i'm going to visit somebody in the hospital that just you know let's say they lost their husband and they've been married to this person for 40 years and and i come in the family's not there yet and i come in and one of the things that was taught to me is just to say to the person hey do you mind if i just stand here with you yeah. Is that, a, is that okay if I just stand here with you? I mm -hmm. don't say, hey, come let me have a prayer. I don't say, hey, 
tell me about them. I just say, hey, can I come and stand with you? And because I'm there, people have said to me, that was the perfect thing. What you yes. did was perfect. And then they do tell me memories about them. They do tell me who it was. And they thank me for not talking so much. Yes. Yes. They just want to feel like it's okay to express some of those those memories and instead of being kind of shooed away, it almost feels like if if you're just saying, Hey, I hope you're doing okay and I'm so sorry, like they would rather have just time to to talk about whatever comes to mind and process instead of be by themselves. And the other thing is a month, two months, six months down the road keep those people on your prayer list and remember to contact them or do something nice for them because they are probably starting the really hard grieving process when everybody is not in like thinking about that immediate death, right. you know, so, so needing to remember that it takes a long time to, to get through that and adjust to life without a spouse or a parent or a tragedy with a child. I don't know. Um, right. Check on them later. Right. Gotten. Right. They do. People do feel, you know, where we do a lot that first week, that first month, and then we're telling people, all right, you should be over it by now. You know, mm-hmm. you should be over it by now. And I think that's, yeah, there's a website I follow, grief.com, and he has a list of like the 10 worst things to yes. say. Yes. Um, I don't have it with me right now, but. Do you have a list of maybe the worst things to say? Just um, yeah, you know, I think some ways some ways we learn by, hey, this is what you should not do. Yep. Hold on one second, if sure. you can. Absolutely. I just I think someone wants a sanctuary, so I'm gonna move. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there's no people out here now, so or well, there is, but no uh, worries. Yeah. So I'll just probably ask that question again. Okay. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Okay. So uh, my question, uh, next question here. Are there any things like maybe like the top one or two, three things that you should not say to a person in grief? Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because you sent me that that website and he had some good ideas, but I I disagree with some of them. I don't think they're bad to say, but we overdo it. Like, I I don't think it's what you say as much as what you do. You know, so, but I do think it is okay to say, um, one of my favorites is, I'm just here and, you know, I know nothing can comfort you right now, but if it's okay, I will check on you later this week. Mm -hmm. I'll check on you later this week. Right. Yeah. And if they give you the go ahead, then do it and follow through. Don't forget. (laughs) Because then that takes the responsibility off of them. Yes. They don't don't need more things to do. Exactly. So you're saying, hey, can I call you later? So then it's on me. Yes. And what I can control. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even um, just just looking at them and you don't even have to say anything. And if... It feels like the right moment. Give them a hug. You don't have to say anything. Right. That's so true. And here's the thing. Never say, well, you know, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Don't say that. Never say that. And never say, um, 
well, God has a plan. God has a plan. And, you know, it'll be better better later. You just can't see it right now. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> Those are just really bad things to say because um, they, they, they know this. Intellectually, they know that. And that's part of their faith journey they're going to have to wrestle with. They don't need to be told that. They just need to know that it's okay to hurt right now and you don't need to hurry up and be happy again. Like, you're okay as you are. You should hurt. You should grieve. And it really sucks to not have that loved one in your life. Um, and I'm going to check later and not and not expect you to be better. You know, I'm just going to call and listen. So. Yeah, so just getting super current with me, um, just because it relates. Two weeks ago, I think this is right. Uh, two weeks ago, a really good kind of mentor of mine was tragically killed. I don't think I shared this with you. So. Oh, wow. He was, uh, I lived with him and his wife when I was uh, working at a church in Jacksonville, Florida. And his, you know, that family and church and, and me, you know, we're all grieving. He was a very sweet man, a very, um, a person of small physical stature, but huge uh, spiritual mentor to me and so many other people. And so he was tragically killed in a, a car accident. 77 years old in very good health and for me when I heard that that he died I was obviously very sad but when I heard the way he died that's when it really hit me with a lot of tears and a lot more um, outwardly crying um, because this idea of I don't think he had to go like it this was a freak accident um he was 77 but i still think he had a lot of life left in him and those i think are the toughest for me because i do hear people like well this is god's plan you know he lived a full life he had 77 years and it's like well that's not what it's about it's about that he had he had more years left in my opinion yes mm -hmm. that's why it hurts so bad yeah. In fact, yesterday, I'm glad you brought that up because um, those are the ones that are really hard. I mean, and I never want to dismiss, you know, a spouse that, you know, it was uh, later years. That's still really hard, but yeah. it is more unexpected when those things happen. And just yesterday, my husband came and told me that our next door neighbor in, Mat in Madison, South Dakota, um, his brother passed away at 38 years old because, you know, we've had really bad flooding here. And um, then we had an ice storm as well uh, last week. And where his house was at in Sioux Falls, he lost power and it didn't have power for like three weeks. And he put a generator in his garage to keep the power going. And he, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh my goodness. And he had four kids. And oh. Oh. so, yeah. And, and he was 38-year-old, healthy, healthy guy. Mm. Um, but our next-door neighbor, who's a really good friend of ours, I mean, it just hit home like this guy shouldn't have gone. And it was just a freak accident. But th those are the things we're never going to get closure. And and I try to help people process. And, they're, and sometimes they're not ready to hear that. But in the grief process, when they're ready to address that, um, trying to help people learn the art of acceptance that this is the reality 
uh, and it'll never get easier. Like, yes, it might numb itself a little bit over time, but you're, you can go straight back to that sorrow and that pain right away at any given moment. Um, so, but, but to accept that that's going to be something you'll have to learn to deal with and that it's okay to still live life with some of that pain. You still have permission to live some life. Right. And we can hold more than one emotion at the same time, I think. Yes. There's, you know, there, there's this perception and, uh, you know, we're sad or we're happy. It's like, well, I'm kind of both right now. And that's probably the more honest answer. So um, I, I, I just think about, you know, that, you know, our, our friends that we, that we lose. And, and obviously that is a big, big part of the grief process is death. But there's also um, other, there's other loss and other grief. And I think about, you know, people that have pets for a long time, people that have jobs for a long time, people that live in houses for a long time. You know, I'm a person who has lived in multiple states, in multiple cities. And I grieve those places that I used to live in that I don't live in anymore. I grieve the relationships. I got to have coffee with, you know, my good friend over here in Memphis all the time. You know, I'm not ever going to live in Memphis again. Well, I shouldn't say never, but I doubt I'll ever live in Memphis again. So we still grieve other things. And I think we should talk about that stuff, too. Well, yeah, I mean, I so I do a lot of support groups and one that I currently am doing as well is um, after divorce. So learning how to grieve what your future was with that person or your lifestyle, uh, the house you lived in for years with your family. Maybe it's, um, I know for me, I lost a job, one of my first jobs in my counseling career, and I thought there was something wrong with me. And I grieved. I I thought that, like, maybe this wasn't, my identity was shaken. I thought I lost who I was. Like, maybe I'm really not good at this. And so I went through a really tough grief period and realized I'm grieving something that I still have. I'm just perceiving it's gone. And so sometimes I think we do that to ourselves too. And we, um, we let other people's opinion determine what we really have in life and what we don't. Right. One of the things that has been told to me is do not compare your grief to somebody else. Or your process, your process of grief to someone else. You know, this person seems to be happy after three weeks. How did they do that? It's like, well, don't it? We don't need to waste our time no. comparing grief to other people. And that can be a loss of a job versus moving city, versus the loss of a pet, where your spouse um, dies suddenly, uh, a divorce happens. You know, all of those things we can't compare that stuff. Right. We, we just gotta. You gotta be authentic to yourself. So we've been talking about a lot of um, deep topics here, which, you know, is the purpose of this show. But another thing that I kind of wanted to kind of end with is um, we both do pretty serious things. We're both very serious with work. You know, we're ser- we want to be a good employee. We want to help, um, you know, our, our jobs are, are very emotionally draining. We both uh, have families and kids and family life. And also want to, you know, take care of our own um, self. So I am a big believer that we have to have levity and balance in our life. So 
one of the questions I sent you was, what makes you laugh? So I do think about our friends in high school. We had a good group of friends in high school, and we had a lot of fun laughing together uh, with the various uh, <laughs> individuals in our life. A lot of good good names that you know that we won't list all these names that we both people that we know. But yeah, we you know what are things that bring levity to your life, and I guess specifically with you know humor. <laughs> with humor, oh my gosh! Well, my child, she's yes. hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's little things like yesterday we had um, a parishioner that egged our house like egg does in it's easter so there was all these you know eggs in our yard for her to go search for oh, and gotcha. all of yeah. that and so that was so exciting for a two-year-old you know and um last night over the monitor all of a sudden i heard her talking in her sleep and she goes eh, eh, egg eh, eh, egg egg mama egg and i'm like oh she's dreaming about this awesome experience like that's just i mean maybe it's not like humor, but it just made me laugh and like realize there's so much joy in the simple things. So I don't know, living through the eyes of my child, I think brings a lot of that. Um, <laughs> I make fun of myself a lot. I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but mm -hmm. there were always Steph jokes or Steph moments back in the day. Okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I remember this. This is good. Yeah. This is good. Well, I'm spacey and I like, <laughs> I don't have a filter when it comes to just saying something because I'm just blunt and I don't really care. And so sometimes things can come out funny or come off wrong. And so there's just lots of like moments like that where I make fun of myself, like, oops, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> I just laugh at myself. And so just, just celebrating that I'm imperfect and that that is part of me. That's part of my personality. Um, you know, those, those types of things you have to laugh about and when things get super serious in a session giving clients permission to make light of some serious things and laugh about them is really healing as well you know so i don't know if that answered your question but are there certain things you do like hey i need to do this for my myself to to balance out my life mm -hmm. what are things you do kind of self-care stuff yes yeah, so uh completely disconnecting from my phone and i've been really bad at it lately so i don't i haven't been doing it regularly but that's right. the month of june <laughs> sure. As, you know disconnecting from my phone and my emails um being available to talk to people in my office i, I can't i can't let my guard down and so i i have to just consciously not answer and, and make sure that I have that in place and in order for me to relax. And the other thing, okay, so I felt guilty about this for a long time, but it was very stressful when the weekends would come and we had the house to clean. Like Sundays are taken up because we're kind of working on Sundays still. And so him and I take Fridays off just to try to be a self care day, but that would turn into cleaning. And so I actually do pay somebody to come clean my house hey, and I'm not ashamed yeah. of it. I am not yeah. ashamed because I get more, 
quality time with my daughter. I don't feel guilty if my husband is going crazy because he's more ADD or ADD old, or like um, obsessive compulsive with the house cleaning than me. And yeah. it just took away that pressure. And then he, I know he's not stressed out. Like, I know if like you can't afford it, I get it. But if, even if you have some debt, I still have some debt, but I guess there's always going to be an issue of money my whole life, just that whatever. Um, and hopefully I'll be out of debt someday, but right. I need to learn how to enjoy the moment and know it's not the end of the world to invest in that. that no, that's some great advice. I, I love that you said, Hey, I'm kind of guilty about, or I don't know if you said guilty, but I'm, uh, I struggle with this idea of like, you know, paying somebody to clean, but I don't think like you're at this point of more accepting that. I just, I don't know. I think there's some good uh, wisdom in, in all those things. You know, kids are really fun, you know, simple things. You know, I, I love some of the simple things. One of my most ridiculous things that I do, and I, I have no idea if anybody else does this, but it brings me great joy to recycle stuff. Like I just, I will drive like I will drive somewhere just to recycle. It's ridiculous. Makes yes. Sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's okay. That 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 brings you joy, then go for it. But, you know, I I think people deprive themselves of those amenities because they feel like I know for as a female and a mom that there's this and as a pastor's wife that oh, you should just um you should just do this and it's kind of part of your role and it's selfish for you to pay somebody to do that. Like, and, and I don't know. And, and also I know this was never meant to be um, an attack towards me, but I remember a couple of weeks ago, my husband got this new robe for the traditional service and we couldn't get the wrinkles out. Like mm -hmm. we couldn't iron them out. We, we were like, what the heck is wrong with this thing? Like, can't figure it out. And I was at the church and there was the quilting um, group and wonder, wonderful ladies. Yeah. And so Charles was like, Hey, do you guys know how to get these wrinkles out? Like we can't figure it out. And I know they were joking. So it's my issue for taking it personally, but they were like, well, couldn't you have figured this out Steph? You know, like kind of oh. joking, but I'm, in my head, I'm like, I already feel guilty that oh, no. I don't do the typical house stuff and cook all the time, you know, like, so it's those things that um, we torture ourselves with and we just need to do what's right for our family. And that there's no written rules on, on that in, in the Bible except to love each other and, you know, teach those values of grace and forgiveness and good morals. So, Absolutely. Well, this has been really fun. You know, I feel like you're, oh, man, there's so many places we could talk about. But Oh, so gosh, many, I know. There's so many places. But this has been really good. And, uh you know, we're going to have to do this again, I think, maybe. What do you yeah, think? absolutely. This cool. is fun. Today's artwork was done by Dominique Frazier. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. The music you're listening to, Josh Cleveland. And the creator and editor and producer of the Winter Faith Podcast, yours truly, Andy Frazier. Well, you did it again. You spent your time listening to my show. You probably could have spent this time playing games or binging Game of Thrones on your phone, but instead you spent it with me, so I thank you for your time. 
If you haven't already, downloaded and subscribe to the Winter Faith Podcast on Anchor. They are a sponsor for me, so try to be nice to them. If you haven't already, please leave a review on iTunes with good, bad, or ugly feedback. All feedback is good, no matter what, in my opinion. Express yourself, friends. Also, please consider supporting the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. However, I do accept Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, and any other way you want to contribute to the show financially. Okay, my commercials are done. Andy, out.